All right, we're in Colossians 1, and this is a, this is a book that is written to a people who are relatively new. Uh, in fact, the faith itself is relatively new, and they're trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. Anybody else had that struggle of like, how do exactly do I do this? Anybody else had that struggle of like, I know I've got Jesus and I'm saved, but like, what about this part of life? Anybody else? wondered how your faith kind of intersects and what about this, what job, what, what, you know, what, who should I marry or what does this look like when this relationship is blown up or when anybody else struggle with stuff like that? Well, these people at Colossae were struggling with a lot of stuff like that and some people were taking advantage of that and trying to bring in their own teaching and their own things that they were just to get you out of hell, right? You need Jesus to forgive you of your sins, but then you're going to need this knowledge and this stuff to add on top of that. And so Paul hears of this through his, 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 uh, disciple Epaphras who planted the church and he writes this letter in response to to tell them boldly that this is not um, you, you don't graduate from the gospel and then on to greater things. You don't graduate from Jesus and then move on to deeper philosophical things. That Jesus and the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A through Z. And it's not just the A and Z where you start and where you end. It is everything in between. That every moment of your life, every struggle that you have is actually uh, can be traced back to a wrong or a low view of Jesus. That what we need is always to see Jesus more clearly, more fully, and to worship him more. And so Paul is going to say, hey, don't think that you graduate and move on to other things. Instead, what you do is keep leaning in. That this thing called the gospel, that this man named Jesus is not something we just start with, but he is the end-all, be-all of our faith. And so he is going to unload. This is, you probably just heard it as Nick read it. It's one of the most beautiful passages, and it's one of the most densely packed theological passages in the Bible. It is just full of truths, and it's written, it reads like a poem, right? It reads like a psalm or a poem. In fact, many um, um, commentators speculate that this, Paul could actually be quoting a, a hymn that, that the early church had been singing that had developed in, in the time between Christ, you know, resurrection and, and this moment. Uh, it, they, they don't know. There's speculation on that. It really doesn't matter. Nonetheless, it is a beautiful passage of scripture. And so we're going to jump in today. And, and the title of probably in your Bible, in mine, it says the preeminence of Christ. That, that, that means that he surpasses all, right? That he is, he is standing out and above all things and all people. And so Paul is going to, to write this with the hopes that all who read it, all who hear it would leave with an exalted view of Jesus Christ. So that's our hope too, that we would leave here today, really every week, but, but specifically today, this passage exalts our view of Jesus Christ. That, that we, listen, if you get bored with Jesus, you don't really know Jesus, right? That we should be in awe of him regularly and always. And Paul is going to jump in. So let's just jump in with him in verse 15. He says, this Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's an, that, so that's the first thing. Jesus is the image of an invisible God. What does that mean? Well, you, you know, you, you wonder sometimes, or people often wonder like, where, you know, where is God? Like, why can't we see him? Why can't we know him? Why doesn't he just make himself known? And that's because not, God is not Physical, he's not you know, present in the same physical way that we can lay eyes on him. And so we wonder, we speculate, we ask questions about who he is, what does he look like? And this sort of reminded me, I don't know if you've been talking to somebody and they're talking about someone and they say, oh, you know so-and-so, right? And you're like, ah, I don't know, the name sounds familiar, I don't know if I know him or not. Right, or and maybe that's somebody you know that, that's here local, or maybe it's a celebrity. Oh, you know, the, you know that, that actor in this thing, and you're like, ah, oh, the name sounds familiar, I don't know if I recognize him. Well, what do we do nowadays? We pull out our phone. Right? And if it's a celebrity, we Google. 
We're like, oh, that's so-and-so. Yeah, I do know him. You put a face with a name, right? And if it's local, what do we do? We, we Facebook stalk people, right? Right? It's like, oh, th- this person, do I know them? We pull up Facebook. You, say, you find their picture. So what is this image? It, image is, it, puts this, it puts a picture with, it identifies this, this idea or this someone that maybe you know that you have questions about. It puts a picture with it so you can know. So God is, is not seen and, and, and present in the way that we would often like, but Jesus makes him known. He makes the invisible God known. He is the in, image of the invisible God. And so when it comes to God and wondering, do we know him? You know, who is this God? Jesus makes him known. So we, we look to him in the same way that we would find that image to see, oh, that's that person. We look to Jesus. We look to the gospels to see that indeed this is how we know God. John 1, um, chapter 1, verse 18 says, no one has ever seen God, the only God, and he, Jesus, has made him known. Have you ever longed for a sign or wondered why God doesn't just physically kind of reveal himself? Well, John 1.14 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and, he gave, and, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I think it's John 14.9 that says, if you've seen, Jesus tells his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen God. Right? Hebrews 1. Uh, starts out t- saying that, hey, long ago and at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, right? So Hebrews is saying, we have been hearing from God for generations. He spoke through prophets in the Old Testament and, and he, he gave them the word. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his very son, whom he appointed as heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is, listen to this, the exact imprint of his nature, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purifications for his sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. So who is Jesus? Jesus is not just like an, an addition to this Christianity thing. He's not just our mascot. He's not just our leader, our team captain. No, he is the image of the invisible God. What we have longed to know, Jesus has made known. He came full of grace and truth to show us who God is. So he is indeed the image of the invisible God, that God has spoke to us. If you have doubts, if you wonder, why doesn't God speak to us? Why doesn't God reveal himself to us? You need to push back and say, indeed he has. He has not left us to speculate. Rather, he has given us revelation that we open up the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and there we get this picture of Jesus. And as we behold Jesus, we are beholding God. We are seeing who he is. And so that is our invitation. If you wonder who God is, open up your Bible and let's behold him. He is the image of the invisible God. And then secondly, it says he is the firstborn of all creation. And this idea of firstborn, it it would be wrong for us to think of this in physical terms or in birth order, right? Sometimes in the Bible it is talking about birth order, right? It's talking about the one who was literally born first. But but it's also in reference to... um, the, the one who has the rights and privileges over the estate, over the world. Like, um, so you hear in Psalm 89, 27, talking about David, that God has this plan for David as the king, and he says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of kings on the earth. And so that gives us this idea that it's not that Jesus was, was, was born, right? He, he was not It's not talking about his physical origin, right? Or that he was somehow created or he was the first created thing in 
um, in the creation, that, that's a heresy. You need to reject that. Je- Jesus was not created. He wasn't the first thing to be created, and then, Jesus, and then God allowed him to participate in the rest. No, he was there from the beginning. Our God is a Trinitarian God, and, and Jesus is God, and he was there in the beginning. And so he has eternally existed as the Son along with the Father and the Holy Spirit in the Godhead. Okay, so I know that's, that's mind-blowing. That's sort of another sermon to unpack that uh, very well. But what Paul had in mind here is that Jesus is the one with the rights and the privileges of the firstborn son, especially like the son of a monarch who would inherit the ruling of the kingdom, right? That would rule sovereignty. It's also that, that, that it can be used in, in terms of like military rank. He who is of first rank, that doesn't mean that, uh, that, that means they're, they're in charge, right? It means they're the highest rank. It doesn't mean they're older than everybody else, right? It means that they are highest rank. So Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, meaning he is the one to whom it was all given. It is all made for and by. And we're going to see that in just a minute. But he is the one who is ultimate and ruling sovereignly over this kingdom that the Godhead has made. And it goes on to say, not only is he the image of the visible God, not only is he the firstborn of all creation, but he is actually the cause of all creation. Verse 16, it says, for by him all things were created. By him, all things were created. It says in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and, as we'll see in a minute, for him. So Jesus is the creator. He is the cause of all of our creation. That means you and me. That means the trees. That means the grass. That means every bit of what we see and what we know, the sunsets, the, 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 the oceans, all that we are in awe of, the Grand Canyon, all of these things that bring us to this place of awe and worship. Jesus created it all. The, the, the universe, the galaxies, the stars, the planets, all of that, Jesus created. The physical, what we could see, and what we cannot see. That means that the angels, the, the principalities, all of those things that we talked about a lot in Daniel, Jesus created them all, that he is the creator and the cause of all things. And so, so again, back to this idea of him being, uh, you know, firstborn, he's not created because all things were created through him and by him. So you see in Genesis 1 and 2, there's this collective us, let us make man in our image, let us do this. And that is re- referencing to the Godhead and Jesus was the active agent in creation. He didn't come into existence when he was born of the Virgin Mary. Okay, you need to know that. Jesus didn't come into existence when he was born of the Virgin Mary. He, he stepped off of his throne that he had ruled from um, eternity past and took on flesh, that he humbled himself to becoming a babe, to becoming a human, so that he might save us. But that was not his origin, that he's the creator. He's not some little boy setting aside as the, as the father, you know, uh, worked on creation, hoping he'd get to play a part someday. No, mysteriously, Jesus is the active agent in creation. and all the majesty that is creation, he made it. He made it. This also, this also means that he isn't the first thing created. As we said, some heresies will claim that. But it says, all things without exception were created by him. So he is the cause. He is the, the, the active agent. He is the creator of all things, but he is also the reason for all things. He is the purpose for all things. It says not only were they made through him, and, but they were also made for him. For him. That means everything that was made was made to find its ultimate purpose in Jesus, that it was all made for Jesus. You and I, we were made for Jesus. All of creation was made to bring glory to Jesus, that it's all for him. Not only are, are they there to, you know, do as he wishes, but also, like, so it's not just this, 
idea that Jesus is ruling and he gets to do what he wants with all this creation, but it's actually that all of the creation finds its purpose in Jesus, in glorifying Jesus, that that is why we were made, is for Jesus. And, and all that we know, physical and spiritual, all of it has its origins and its purpose in Jesus Christ. Listen, the whole world is proclaiming his glory. It's, it's groaning. It's crying out. Jesus says, if, if you don't praise me, the rocks will cry out, right? That, that all of creation is screaming of his glory, as Roman 1 says, that, that in fact that puts us accountable to God because we see it in creation. His glory, his hand is, 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 is making these things, that we cannot explain the world, no, no matter what science tries, no matter what theory they put out before you, there is still a giant gap in the how. There's still a giant gap in the how. No matter what evolutionary theory they put out there, you boil it down to, okay, well, how did it get here? How did it start? How did we get, you know, and, and they'll say, well, you know, it, where did we come from? Nothing, right? And I don't know about you. I haven't seen nothing create a lot of stuff. And it, and it just doesn't work that way. There's this giant gap. And no matter what theory scientists try to put forward, if they're leaving out the creator, it does not Makes sense. So yeah, it takes faith for us to ascribe that, that God is the creator of all things, that he made us, but it takes a, a greater degree of faith. I honestly believe that to think that we came from nothing, this combustible, just, you know, big bang or, or you know, whatever. I know I'm simplifying their, their theories, but, but nonetheless, to think that it just came from nothing requires a great deal of faith. And our Bible says that it didn't come from nothing. It came from our Jesus, that he was the one who spoke it into existence, that he is the, the cause and the purpose for all of it, that he didn't just make it for fun. He made it to glorify himself. He made it to find its purpose in him. That's you, that's me, that's our, that's our dogs, our cats, the trees, the animals. All of it is, is to glorify him. The oceans that we all run off to vacation to, the depths of which we haven't even fully explored, right? The, 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 the skies, the, the galaxies that, that scientists and NASA are, are constantly trying to get a bigger glimpse of and more details of, all of that was made by Jesus and to bring glory to Jesus. So as you hear about that stuff that NASA puts out, as you hear about the reports of, of science, even you know, discovering things about our bodies or about creation, whatever it may be, you don't have to fear that and think that they're stumbling onto something. You can go, praise God. Praise God. He's not scared of us discovering his creation. As Louis Giglio said years ago, he's saying, come on, come take a look. Like I got more for you to see. It's amazing. It's amazing. And all of that should lead us to, to give praise to our God because he made it and it is made for him. So he is the cause, he is the reason, but he is also the sustainer. Verse 17 says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Meaning, he's the one who anchors it all together. He holds it all together. I want you to imagine being responsible for the entire universe plus. I don't know about you, but I get exhausted with my little acre of land. Right? I get exhausted trying to just care for that. I want you to imagine being responsible for holding it all together. I was thinking about this. A couple years ago, we upgraded. We bought a bigger house, right? And, and we filled it with kids. And, and so it's, um, you know, guess what? The amount of stuff to do is, is getting away from me, right? Because a bigger house equals more stuff to break and more kids equals more people to break that stuff. And, and man, it's just like, I look around and I'm always like, oh yeah, I got to do that. Oh yeah, I got to fix that, right? And it's just kind of a constant thing. And so I feel the pressure of kind of holding it together at, at our home, just getting these things fixed. And I'm getting better about asking for help. So don't, you know, you, you don't feel like I'm 
pitiful me. I'm getting better about saying, hey, I'm going to need some help with this because uh, I'm, I'm not used to budgeting to pay people, but like I'm, uh, I got more than I can handle. So, so that's a part of it, but I feel that pressure. But here's the deal. That actually doesn't even begin to pair or compare to whenever I let my wife have a day off and then I feel all that she holds together. Right? Me fixing a door, that has nothing on me trying to fix meals and, and please five kids that all have different tastes and nobody likes the same thing and, and, and you know, just hold all that together and the messes that they're making perpetually, right? Perpetually in our home. Like, it's just crazy. Somebody said trying to clean a house with kids and it's like brushing your teeth while eating Oreos. That's legit, right? It's just constant, constant messes. Constant. It drives me a little crazy. I always try to leave the house. I'll go somewhere else. Let's go to the park, right? You can't make them. Like, it's just the, being in the house with the kids, and they're always making it. just stresses me out, right? My wife holds that stuff together. And here's the deal. These are both very laughable examples when we try to compare to what God himself is holding together in the universe. It's laughable when you think about he's, 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 he's holding things together like gravity, right? Like the orbits, the placement of the solar system. You ever studied that stuff? Like if the earth was just a little bit closer, a little bit farther away, we don't exist, right? Like the placement of the, the planets in the solar system, this thing called gravity that keeps us from spinning completely off in, you know, into the deal. Like he's holding all of that together so that it doesn't collapse in on itself. And so as crazy as this world is, as easy as it is to, for you to look out and, and think of all the things that are broken and all the things that have gone wrong, the reality is he is sustaining it and keeping it, it and us from destroying this good creation. He is sustaining and holding it all together. The good news is that Jesus isn't like me or you. Like, he doesn't get overwhelmed. He doesn't need a day off. He doesn't need to sleep. It says he's on his throne. He's never changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's ruling, and he's reigning, and he's sustaining. He's never sleeping, never slumbering. He has proved himself in control, generation after generation. If you know the book of Job, how it finally ends, this very mysterious book about what, you know, when things happen that are bad that don't line up with what we thought should be, and everybody's asking, why does this happen? The, the answer that, that Job gets is not one that, that I don't think he was, was, was hoping for, but God says, hey, were you there? Were you there when I told the oceans you can only go thus far? Were you there when I created the beast and put them in their place? Were you there whenever I, I set all of this in motion? No, God is a God who is a creator beyond our imagination, and he sustains it all. He sustains it all. Through Jesus, all things hold together. There's, a, there's an illustration by Louis Giglio back from like 2008, wherever he actually kind of talks about this, the glory of God, and, and he uses the, the protein molecule laminin. I don't know if you, you and I'm not going to try to, you can look it up. It's just really cool. Five minute clip talking about the, the, the incredible, like the laminin, like this, this protein molecule that that's kind of serves as the rebar for our bodies, right? That holds the, 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 the cells and the stuff together and, and gives it structure within our body, like holds us together, right? And the mysterious cells and membranes that we have. Um, and, and it's called laminate. And what's, what's beautiful about it is you look up a picture of laminate and it's shaped like a cross, right? And so some would say, man, that's the creator leaving his mark or his signature. And praise God, it's just a, a thing for us to say praise God for, right? But it doesn't matter if there's laminate or not. The truth is God has made us all and he holds us together. He is the sustainer and the ruler of all. This is our Jesus. This is our Jesus. It's impossible to overstate his significance. It's impossible to overstate his preeminence. And, and that's the next verse. It says that he is preeminent 
over all things. That word means surpassing all others, right? Very distinguished in some way. If you just look up preeminent, that's what it means, surpassing all others and very distinguished. That's our Jesus. He is above all. He is the creator of all. And so here's the deal. If you're bored with Jesus, you don't know him. You are not seeing him because he is God. He is the image of the invisible God. Verse 19 says that in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You want to know what God is, what God is like? Study Jesus. Study the life of Jesus. Study the truth of Jesus. Study Jesus' word. That is where we see he is the firstborn of creation. He is outranking and ruling over all. He is the creator of all. He is the purpose of all, and he is the sustainer of all. Amen. That is our Jesus. Church, you need to know that. You need to be caught up in that. He is so far above us. He is so beyond us. The psalmist wrote, man, what is man that you're mindful of him? What is man that you even think of him? We don't deserve his attention. You realize that, right? He doesn't owe us anything. And yet, and yet, Paul's passage doesn't just glorify him as creator, but also as redeemer. That the good news is that he's not just a God of an agnostic belief saying that, yeah, there's a God who created us, but then he just sort of set it off into existence and doesn't really have his hand in it. That, that it's a, a creator, but not one who's involved in the everyday life, not one who, who, who cares and is actually there. But no, that's not the truth of who our God is. It goes on to say in verse 18 that he is the head of the body, the church. What does that mean? That means that there is this, this, this God, this creator, this Jesus, this king, preeminent over all, he has a people. He has a people and he is near to us, that he is both the transcendent Lord over all things and so far removed from us that we'll never be able to fully comprehend his glory and his majesty until we see him. He is that God who transcends and is far removed, but at the same time, he is the imminent, ever-present Lord who draws near to us. That's what we celebrate, Emmanuel, at Christmas. God with us. God with us. To have an all-powerful God and yet an all-present God, a near God, is the good news of Christianity, that he bows down to raise us up. And Philippians 2 talks about that. If you flip a couple pages, or one page probably to your left in Philippians 2, it says, um, have, verse 5, had this mind among yourself, which is Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So he was in the form of God. He's there. But he, he says, you know what? I don't have to maintain the status of everybody knowing that I am God. I'm going to humble myself. It says that he emptied himself, verse 7, by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. He became like us. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Let's just keep going. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. We just sing about that. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God forever. Amen. Like that is our Jesus. So he is this transcendent God, but he is this God who drew near. See, here, here's the deal. Here's, here's why this is, this is such good news. is because we were created to be with that glorious God. We were created, as I said, by him and for him. 
that the way things line up perfectly, the way that we don't have this longing and this emptiness in our life is that we're with Jesus and we're perfectly aligned and we're serving Jesus. But we're not like that, are we? Because our sin has separated us. My sin has separated me from the holy God who I was made to be in his presence. Your sin has separated you from a holy God who you were made to be in his presence and living for his purpose. Our sin has made a mess of our life. It has put us in hostility and in rebellion to the God who we were made to live with, and we deserve hell. We deserve hell. That, like he doesn't, he's not entitled, we're not entitled to anything. He doesn't owe us anything, but, as Ephesians 2 says, but God, he made a way. He made a way. How? It says this in verse, verse 20. Verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is our Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Before that in verse 18 it says, he is the firstborn of the dead. What does that mean? It means that Jesus went where you and I deserve to go. That this is not a God who just says that he loves us and, and sends out somebody else to make a way for those who are really righteous and who can really get it together. You know what? Here, give some exemptions if people can follow these rules, these 10 commandments, then they can come be with me. No, no, no. This is a God who says, there's only one way for me to have this people. There's only one way for me to ransom these people who are lost and enslaved into their sin. There's only one way. And Jesus himself entered in and, and, and went where you and I belonged. He went to the cross where you and I belonged. He died our death. After living the life that we couldn't live, the perfect sinless life, he died the death that you and I should have died. So when it says he's the firstborn of the dead, because he went there on our behalf. He went there as our substitute to, to drink fully of the wrath of God so that you and I would be shoved out of the way and be able to receive grace. That this is our Jesus. He's preeminent above all, and yet he stepped down to make a way for all who would call on his name. He stepped down to make a way through his body. So he's the firstborn of, all uh, the, firstborn of the dead, meaning he went there on our behalf, and as he came back to life, he blows open a way for all who would call upon him, all who would trust in him and repent of their sins to receive salvation. This is our Jesus. And so not only does he draw near and make a way, he does it through the giving of himself. Through the giving of himself that through him, verse 20 says, to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Each week here at The Journey, we partake of, of this meal called Communion. Sometimes we do it in different ways, and COVID has forced us into this package. But the point, the point is that we would remember that this sovereign God, this transcendent Jesus, stepped in to make a way. And that sovereign gave us this meal to remember. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, just don't partake today. The Bible would warn against that. But if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, go ahead and, and take out your communion. There's some cups uh, at the table at the back of the room. Feel free to grab them if you, if you haven't yet. If you're here and you're not a Christian, we would invite you to just sit back and, and, and listen and reflect upon this 
undeniable truth that God loves the world so much that he gave his only, only son. He gave his own life to provide salvation. And so as you do that, if you're, if you're here and you're not a Christian, as you do that, perhaps you would be prompted to trust Jesus today. And you could do that. You don't have to wait till an altar call. You don't have to wait for an invitation. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, this should compel you to want to know Jesus. And all you have to do is cry out. Say, God, have mercy upon me. I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. And I believe that Jesus, you are that savior. He says, you will be born again. You'll be regenerated, get a new heart, forgiven of all your sins and set upon a new path. Set your feet upon a rock. That is the promise of our savior. And today we would love for you to partake of communion for the first time as a Christian. But if you're here and you're not, you're not following Jesus, just reflect, just reflect. And let's look at verse 19 and 20 together. The reason that your life is a wreck is because of sin. We made this mess. We deserve to stay in it. And this mess separated us from God. We needed to be reconciled because we were hostile toward him. And here's what he did. The preeminent son of God, with all the fullness of God dwelling in him, takes that problem as his own. And he gives his own life, and he allows his body to be broken. So church... Don't you, don't, don't you dare let this just become a ritual that, that we do. Instead, let your hearts be reflected upon the preeminent Christ stepping down into history to solve your sin problem, to bear the beating that you deserve to have, to die the death that you deserve to have. And Jesus said, hey, this is my body. It's broken for you. Take an eat. says, making peace by the blood of his cross. Listen, we get so used to sin. Our culture tells us it's not that big a deal. Our culture tells us it's just what everybody does. In fact, they exalt it. We get used to it. We get numb to it. We get to this place where our stomach isn't turned by our sin and our rebellion. We have taken grace and forgiveness for granted. But the, the Old Testament, the people of God, they, they, they didn't do that because God forced them into this ritual where, where if they wanted their sins to be forgiven, they had to slaughter an animal. And most of us haven't done that. Most of us haven't had to witness or participate in the slitting of, a, of the throat of a lamb. Kiddos, I know that's graphic, but, but you need to know that your sin is offensive to God. And that they were required to shed blood because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And you say, well, they must have just been more used to it. No, they had the same visceral reaction to blood as you and I do. That's intentional. Why? Because life exists in the blood, right? If, if somebody's losing too much blood, they're losing their life, right? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. He's not joking. That's not a throwaway line. This is a holy God we're dealing with here. And when we sin against him, we spit in his face and we minimize sin and we have cut ourselves off from the blessing. We are cursed and on our way to hell. And the only hope that we have is the blood. It's the blood. So Jesus gave us this meal. He gave us this hope. It says that making peace 
by the blood of his cross, that you and I, Jesus wasn't in hostility toward his father. Jesus wasn't the one in rebellion. Jesus wasn't the one separated, but he is the one who made peace by shedding his own blood. And so Jesus knew that was coming and he gave us this meal. And he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is how the peace will be made between sinner and a holy God. Take and drink. May we never come proclaiming anything other than the death of Jesus Christ. May we never come before this holy, preeminent, amazing God with anything as our qualifier other than Jesus Christ. Jesus says, as often as you do this, you proclaim my death until I come. Okay. It is Jesus his sacrifice on the cross that allows you to be made into the presence of a holy God. And you might be thinking, yeah, but I, I got more sin to deal with. I got more stuff to handle. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not ready. I'm not, I'm not worthy. And, and that would be true, but it doesn't matter. If you're in Christ, you are in Jesus. You are there on behalf of uh, you're, you're there not on your own behalf, but on behalf of Jesus. God sees you. And so you have been positionally transferred from the kingdom of, of death, sin, and slavery into the kingdom of the Son. And it is there that we can behold him. The Bible says that we get to boldly approach the throne of Christ. May we not be doing anything less when we gather here on Sundays. When we come to response time, may we not be doing anything less than coming before the throne of Christ and realizing that's our preeminent, holy, amazing creator, ruler, purpose, sustainer, God, Jesus Christ. And he has made a way for us to come before him through his cross, through the blood. So now that we, we have that hope, let's examine our own life. Not so that we can earn it, not so, let, not, let's, let's not think about how do we get better, try harder so that we can earn God's favor, but because we have been given God's favor through Jesus, amen? Because now let's look honestly at our life. Let's look honestly at our life and where does Jesus stand in your heart's affections? Where does Jesus stand in your own life and the way you live? Is he preeminent? Is he surpassing all things? Are you acknowledging him as the one who has made you and, and the one in whom you're made for, as the one who holds you together? And is your life reflecting of that? If not, if not, you have the privilege of bowing and repenting and crying out and allowing him to forgive you and to exalt himself this morning. Because not only do we have the wrong view or, or, or too small of a view when it comes to Jesus theologically, but we also have too small of a view when it comes to Jesus practically. Like, what does he want to do in our life? We just talked about the, the vastness of his creative power and his creation power. What he did in creating the world is beyond our capacity to even understand or come close to grasping, and yet that is our God and we give glory to him. Well, here's the deal. When it comes to the recreation, when it comes to the redemption, let's not sell him so short as to think, 
that he only forgives us and then waits for us to arrive in heaven. He is coming for a total and full recreation of you and I. He is planning to redeem this whole deal and it's, it's you and I and he's doing it right now. One degree of glory to another, he's coming for your sin. He's coming for your freedom. He wants to set you free. He doesn't want you to just keep struggling and, and keep you know, quiet and come to church and do better and you know, maybe he'll tolerate you. No, no, no. He loves you and he's coming for you. He is a conquering king and yes, he's got your heart and now he's coming for the rest of you. He wants to cultivate his image bearers. We're made in the image of God. Amen? Our sin has skewed that. We've been redeemed, we've been forgiven and now we're being made new. We're being sanctified. We're being grown back into the image of God. So he wants to do that in you. Don't sell him so short to think that he can't penetrate your life and your heart and the things that you're struggling with. We're just talking about the God who made all and sustains all. Right? We're talking about gravity and orbits and beyond. He can handle your struggle against porn. He can handle your struggle against greed. He can handle your heart's resentment towards your spouse. He can handle what has happened to you, but at the hands of someone else, what have you been sinned against? He can handle the effects that that has happened. You don't have to hold on to it. You don't have to hold it all together and the anxiety is crushing you. You don't have to do that. You can give it to him. Don't sell him short. Don't sell him short in your own life. Your doubts, your fears about your purpose, your identity, your whatever. Don't sell him short. Come to this Jesus. Yes, he's above all, and we should have a healthy fear of him, but he is also the God who drew near as the good shepherd, and he says, come to me. You who are burdened and weary and tired, come to me. Some of you have just sold him way too short. You've not let him into the rest of your life. His powers is not, they're not limited. Let's pray. Jesus, come and do your conquering work in our own hearts. Practically, powerfully, and personally here today. Father, there are, there are people here who have never truly surrendered to you as, Jesus, as, as, as the king. They've never trusted you and been born again as Savior. And, and maybe, Father, I don't know how long they've been pretending or what they, what the, what's holding them back, but I pray that your spirit would, would override that. Father, I'm, I'm tired of, of not seeing you at work in salvation. I want to see revival. I want to see you conquer Jesus. I want to see your kingdom go forward. And so today, may you do that work. May your spirit come and overwhelm those who have not yet trusted you and give them the faith. May this altar fill up. May revival break out. Father, may it begin here in our own hearts. For the rest of us, Lord, though we've known you, we've taken you for granted. Though we've known you, we've had a small view of you. Jesus, would you come and reveal yourself as holy, as powerful, as righteous, and may we all, may we all worship you. Not from mustering something up and just giving it our all, but because of this revelation of your word because of this picture of who you are and because of the power of your spirit to reveal and make known what is true. May you reveal and make known who our Jesus is. And may that have an overwhelming 
and life-changing effect on this room as we sing. We want you, Jesus. You're all that we need. We got one song planned. We'd love to stay here all day and worship you. Come powerfully and overtake us. It's in your name we pray. It is your name that we hope gets lifted high.